Just going through Revelation in Sunday school, I enjoyed many parts of it, and I feel like sometimes we didn't quite get through it completely. And the one verse stood out to me, and I guess I'm going to use that verse as a as a uh, as a focal point in the message this morning. That verse is found in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. If you want to turn there, I'll read it. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. It says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So we look at this verse as we have an invitation to come. And the word inviting has two different meanings. We've all been invited somewhere. We've all had an invitation somewhere. If you didn't personally, your parents didn't, you were maybe to come along. So the, the first meaning is come, you are invited to come. You have an invitation. The second meaning of inviting is something that looks inviting. It looks good. Um, we go back into the beginning. Revelation's the end. We go back to the beginning. We see at the time of the fall of man that Satan used both meanings of inviting to tempt Eve. And let's just turn there quickly in Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to read Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat, it, eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then we see that their eyes were opened. So Satan gave her an invitation to eat of that fruit, but in order for him to have her take it, he made it look appealing, inviting to her. Um, and in Revelation 22, we have an invitation to come. And, and it also has an appeal. It's inviting to come. Because the appeal is that whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. That's an appealing, inviting. Um, beginning of the, the verse... It says, and the spirit and the bride say come. The inviting is done by the spirit and the bride. The inviting here is not done by Jesus. It's done by the spirit and it's done by the bride, his church. 
When we look at the work of the Spirit a little bit, turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. And this was when Jesus was telling his disciples that he must go and that he will bring a comforter. And he's explained to him what the work of the Spirit is. Verse 7 in chapter 16 of John says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they did not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So we see the work of the Spirit is to convict people and the world of their sin. Sin is the truth about man. He also in verse 10, talks about righteousness, and righteousness is the truth about God. And then he talks about judgment, and judgment is the combination of these two, of these two truths. So sin is the truth about man, and righteousness is the truth about God, but judgment is when you combine the two truths together, and God will judge you. And the Spirit is brought to us to convict the world of sin. So the Spirit is giving the invitation to come. The second invitation comes from the bride, the church. I have a story here I'd like to read. I think it, it's fitting, I hope it's fitting. It says, there's a story from ages past about a stately prince and a peasant girl who fell in love. This really is a difficult one to understand on the one hand is a prince who literally had the world at his disposal. There has never been a more perfect specimen of a man that ever lived. Nothing about him was common. He wouldn't be, you wouldn't be exaggerating to say that he is a perfect catch. On the other hand, there is a peasant girl. She is nothing more than average. At her best, she is plain, but at her worst, she can be just plain ugly. There are times when she is cranky and moody, and she rarely, rarely ever achieves all she could. To look at her from anyone else's eyes, you would never believe she was worth much. But if you could see her through the eyes of the prince, you would believe that she is to die for. Because the prince determined that he couldn't bear to live without her, he asked her to be his bride. The angels in heaven listened, listened expectantly as she accepted his proposal. The prince promised his bride that he would come back for her soon, and the peasant turned princess pledged to faithfully await his return. To this point, the story could be any of a number of fairy tales. But now the plot takes a bizarre twist. You would expect the bride to be always thinking about the coming wedding, but she rarely ever mentions it. You would think that her every waking moment would be lived out in anticipation and preparation for the coming of her prince. However, by the way she lives, you wouldn't even know she's the bride of a perfect prince. More frequently than not, you can't even tell the difference between the bride 
and any of the other peasant girls in the village. There are even times when she can be seen flirting with the other men in the village in broad daylight, and who knows what she is doing when no one else is around. Can you imagine a peasant girl fortunate enough to be the object of a perfect prince's eternal love? You would expect her to be captivated by his love and filled with a sense of wonder that she was fortunate enough to be loved by him. You would think that she would be careful to remain pure in anticipation of the return of her royal groom. Instead, to look at her, you might wonder if she ever remembers she is engaged at all. How could a peasant forget about her prince? Is it possible for a bride to forget her groom? That's a good question, but only we are able to answer it. You see, the story of the prince and his peasant bride is not a fairy tale or some medieval fable. It isn't a story about anyone else at all, but rather a story about us, you and me, the church. We are the ones the Bible calls the bride of Christ. And to be quite honest, far too often observers might ask if we've forgotten about the groom we are betrothed to. So here in Revelation, we see that the bride is the one that is calling and inviting the people to come. The church. The church is called to be bearers of the good news of God for the lost men, for lost mankind. And Jesus commissioned us to go into all the world and preach this good news. So the church, the bride, is called to invite those to come. Second, in Revelation 22, it says, And let him who hears say, Come. So those that hear are also doing and inviting. When we think of hearing, we think of being able to put sounds together. But I think the definition of hearing also is not just hearing, but in doing, being obedient. Hearing what is said, that we are obedient to what we are being asked to. To do in John chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. John chapter 5, verse 24 and 25 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So those that are the ones that hear are the ones that believe, and the ones that will live. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 Verses 14 to 17. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? 
So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we see here, it is those that have heard that have been called to spread the invitation. And those that have heard that call have also went. So hearing can be contagious. It should be contagious. If you heard and believed, and you called someone and they heard and believed, it continues to we call compound interest. And that's how the imitation should be. Um, it should be contagious. The next part of Revelation 22:17 it says, "And all them that thirst." I should have just wrote this verse down instead of having turned to it all the time. It says, and let him who thirsts come. Are we all thirsty? All of us have been at a time where we've been physically thirsty, I'm sure. And I don't know if anyone's ever been to the point where you are so thirsty, you loathe for almost anything, and that was wet. <laughs> I was almost there at one time, and I overindulged, in, and I got sick. But we were thirsty, very, very thirsty. Here, I believe we can use the thirst that we know of physical thirst, but also we can use it as those that are thirsty spiritually. In John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, and there's actually more verses in John chapter 4. I'm just going to pull these two verses out. It's when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, and he offered her living water. And he says, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up in, into everlasting life. And... As it goes on, the woman says, I want some of that water. But why did she want that water? Is it because she didn't want to have to go to the well every day to get more water so she didn't have to draw up? Or why do we desire living water? Is it so we don't have to work as hard? Or is it because we have a true desire to have that living water? In John chapter 7, verse 37 and 32, through 39, Jesus talks about living water again here. John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was giving the invitation for living water here. Um, that we never thirst again. Turn with me to Isaiah 55. I'd like to read the first three verses in Isaiah 55. 55, 1 through 3. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, 
Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Y yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. So we look, here's an invitation for those, everyone who thirsts, to come for this living water. This invitation is for everyone. There is no one excluded in this invitation. Um, we look at the two different groups of people that are invited here in Isaiah 55. Um, in verse 1 it says, And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Do we have anyone here without any money? Maybe not physically. I think everyone has money. But I think we look at this here, it's not maybe just in a physical, having absolutely no means to buy anything. But maybe they're what we call, when we have someone that has no money, we call that they're broke. That's, we say they're broke. But maybe they are broke spiritually. They have no means, any way spiritually to even think of getting this or in other terms, maybe we say they are at the end of their rope. They, they are just flat broke. They're physically broke. They have no one to help them. But the invitation is for them to come. They can get it. It doesn't cost them anything. And we think in this life, everything that we get costs us something. It's free. Even if they're broke, they're at the end of their rope. They don't know where to turn next. They are invited to come. The second group, in verse 2, it says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? So the second group of people are those that are thirsty, but they have, they have money. They can go out and spend it. Um, the problem is, is they're spending their money on things that does not satisfy long term. You don't have to answer this question, but has anyone ever wanted something so bad and they finally saved up for it and they got it and they thought, man, we will be happy for the rest of our lives and it may have lasted a week. Then you want something else. Maybe it was a new bike you wanted when you were a kid. Maybe it was a toy. Or when you were older and not a kid, maybe it was a vehicle. I don't know. You name it. But we thought once we got it, we would be completely satisfied and we were maybe satisfied for a short term. But that's... Whatever it was, wore off. We lost that satisfaction. This invitation is for those that have money, but they're thirsty. They've never reached full satisfaction because everything they've ever done in life, even though it had some satisfaction, always faded away. It never completely quenched their thirst. So everyone is including these two groups. The two kinds of people are invited by the Lord, the thirsty who are broke and cannot pay, and the thirsty who think they can pay and work their way to satisfaction, but yet they can never receive it. So the invitation is for everyone that is thirsty to come 
receive this living water. If we go back into the beginning in the Garden of Eden, and when man was living there, everything was perfect. There was a tree there that was called the tree of life. If you ate of that tree, you were to live forever. And when man sinned, he had to be driven out of the garden so he could not eat that tree of life. And that was the tree of life was guarded. If we look in Revelation, in the first couple verses of Revelation 22, we see that the tree of life is again present in heaven. And for us, in order for us to enjoy its fruit, we have to first accept the living water that Jesus has invited us to partake. This morning in the service, I was blessed. Lori, when you chose just as I am. Because it's an invitation to come. And it fits so well, I think, with what I chose to share. And that invitation is probably the greatest invitation we'll ever have, and that is to come. And that invitation is always open. Um, and it's for everyone. No matter what, where you're at in life, that invitation is always open. And the only thing that will ever fully satisfy us is to take that living water. Thank you.